Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Good morning, City Lights. Like Chuck said, my name's Ken, and I'm one of the pastors here. And man, we're, we're glad that you've decided to join us this morning, because I don't know about you, but uh, at the risk of sounding heretical, I'm not 100% sure hell is filled with fire. I think it's filled with weather like this. Uh, that's at least my hell. I know that. Uh, so thank you all for being here and joining us, trekking out in this cold weather and gathering with us today, because I'm, I'm excited to preach today. Uh, because we're coming out, out of a series we're calling, we called Being. We wanted to start the year talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And what being kind of represents is that a disciple of, of Jesus is someone who knows how to be with Jesus and be like Jesus. And we're kind of getting to the end of this series. This is actually the last time I get to preach on this series. And so I'm excited to be able to do it. Um, but as a point of review... Let's, let's list off all the things that we've talked about uh, that as disciples, these are things that help us be with Jesus and be like Jesus. We started off talking about studying and reading your Bible. We talked about giving. We talked about resting. We talked about serving one another. We talked about worshiping together, what we're doing this morning. We talked about fasting and then this week, we talk about silence and solitude. All these things are things that we do as followers of Jesus that help us grow in relationship to Jesus, but also help us to grow our character to look more like him. And so as a way of like thematically setting up the topic of silence and solitude, can I actually start with prayer this morning? I know that's different from what we normally do, but I'm going to actually start with prayer. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would calm our hearts this morning. Sometimes we walk into church and things are exciting and big and loud and Ken and can get boisterous up on stage. But Lord, this morning, I pray that you would silence us before you. That you would humble us, that you would quiet all the external noise, but also quiet the internal noise. All the doubts, all the fears, all the insecurities that rise up in us. Lord, I pray that you would quiet those things. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move. Help us become aware of your presence this morning. And help us experience your goodness in that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And then as a way of practically uh, showing this spiritual habit, uh, can we spend about a minute 30 seconds, just silence, asking God to calm our hearts and prepare our hearts for what he has to say to us this morning. I know this is awkward, but let's do it.
that right there is how we wake up every morning. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who turns my phone all the way up and sets it right next to my bedside so that I can make sure to wake up on time. Maybe I'm the only one who frantically runs around in the morning already late, even though he just woke up. And it just, (laughs) maybe I'm the only one who wakes up that way, but we tend to live our lives at that pace. We start our days with a loud noise, and the days just get louder from there. We live in the chaos of an over-busy, digitally distracted, noisy world. So not only do we wake up to that alarm, but we turn on some music while we get ready. We get in the car, and on the way to the work, we turn on a podcast. And then we get to work, and goodness knows it's crazy and loud, and there's all these people, and you're just trying to get some work done. And then you get off work, and you decide to go to the gym, and you put in headphones, right? So you can get on the treadmill and get a few miles in. And then you're like, okay, time to go out to dinner. And what are they doing at dinner? Music over the loudspeakers. So you go home, your place of peace and respite, and you turn on Netflix. And then finally, at the end of your day, you get to lay your head on the pillow to the sound of thunderstorms or a fan blowing. We live in a noisy world. We live in a perpetual state of noise. And let's be honest about it. Silence is awkward. Like when, you, when you're listening to like a radio show and there's dead air, it's weird. When you're in a meeting or think about in Citigroup, when conversation lulls, like there's something in us that is like, okay, somebody please talk right now. Fill up the silence. This is weird. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. We live in a constant state of noise because we're not comfortable with silence. And often the reason is I think we turn up the external noise because we want it to kind of drown out all the internal noise that's happening in us. All of our fears, insecurities, our loneliness, our guilt. Man, when we get quiet, all that stuff kind of starts bubbling up to the surface. So we simply gloss over it with another Netflix binge, with a funny podcast or a new song. And all this noise, I think it's blunted our ability to do lots of, like I think it's blunted our ability for like true self-reflection. But ultimately, I think it's really harmed our ability uh, to hear the voice of God. I think it's hindered our ability to walk by the Spirit and simply just be with Jesus, all this noise is totally clashing with all of our other efforts. We could do all these other things. We could read our Bible. We could give. We could serve one another. But if we don't simply take time to be silent and alone before God, it's going to hinder our ability to be with him. In some ways, this noisy life we've lived is antithetical. It's like totally opposite of what Jesus has called us to. I found this quote by Andrew Sullivan that I thought was amazing. It says this, The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, 
but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which faith might endure or be reborn. If the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. If we were to understand that the greatest threat to the church today is not liberalism, the greatest threat to the world, to the church today, is not the LGBT community or some other evil people outside these walls, but the, the, the greatest thing that's going to hinder the church is distraction. It hinders all of our spiritual lives. It hinders the spiritual lives of people outside these walls. The greatest threat to the church today is we're just too distracted by all the other things going on outside these walls. But luckily in the Bible, we see a practice that's repeated over and over in Jesus's ministry that can help us break the cycle of noise and help us to tune into the voice of God. And namely, like I said, that practice is silence and solitude. And to quickly define that phrase, silence and solitude is simply intentional separation and quiet in order to be with God. And it's imperative as followers of Jesus that we set aside times to get alone with God and times to be quiet before him. If we open up the Bible to Luke chapter 5, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, what Chuck read says this. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate place, places and pray. So in Luke 5, we see Jesus, and Jesus is in tip-top Jesus-y shape. Jesus is doing all the Jesus things that we hear about him doing. In chapter 4, Jesus is healing people. He's driving out demons. He's preaching in the temple. And then we start chapter 5. Jesus is calling his disciples, and he continues to heal all these people. And because Jesus is doing all this work, verse 15 tells us that crowds were beginning to form around him. It says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So great crowds were coming because they've heard of this Jesus, how awesome he was. And so they gathered around him and asked to be healed. But then verse 16 happens. As they, so they're gathering, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And if I were Jesus, if I were surrounded by all these people and I had the power and the opportunity to continue to heal them, to teach them, I would keep going. Like this feels like a make hay while the sun shines kind of opportunity. Like Jesus, what are you doing? All these people are here. Isn't this what you came to do to heal people, to help people, to teach people? Seems like you're doing what you're supposed to do, but it's in that precise moment that Jesus withdrew to a desolate place to pray. It doesn't make any sense in the logical, in the logical mind. But as we read through the Gospels, we see that this isn't the only time Jesus does this. Mark 1, uh, chapter 35. 
Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Matthew 14, 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him. Mark 6, 31 through 32. And he said to, to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to desolate place by themselves. Mark, Matthew 14, 23. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So we see Jesus has this regular pattern of withdrawing from a crowded, noisy situation to quiet himself before God, to be alone with God. If Jesus himself needed moments of silence and solitude with God, how much more do we? I mean, Jesus sets up this pattern to show us that we also need to spend time alone and quiet before God. And the question is why? Well, first off, getting alone and quiet before God helps us learn to be with Jesus. Like think about your best friend in the world, the person you're closest to in your life. Now, I would bet that there are times in that relationship where you're together, but you're not speaking at all. Where you're just in the same room for no real reason, with no real conversation going, no real agenda, right? And, and I would say that if you have someone like that in your life who you can able to just be with and the silence isn't awkward, that speaks to the closeness of that friendship. And that's kind of what God is laying out for us in silence and solitude is like, man, the uh, silence and solitude actually enhances intimacy in a relationship, Silence and solitude doesn't have to be intimidating or awkward. It can become a part of your relationship. The example that comes to mind uh, immediately is that of my wife and her sister. So oftentimes Jordan will get a ring on her phone. And first off, who's calling people anymore? It's 2021 text already. Um, <laughs> so she'll get a call on the phone and she'll pick up. She'll throw it on speakerphone. And uh, she'll be like, hello? And be like, Taryn, how are you doing? Good. Awesome. What are you up to? Nothing. What are you up to? And then dead air for like two minutes. And I'm sitting on the couch like, why did she even call? I don't know. Just going to sit on the phone in silence. But what I think it speaks to is the closeness of their relationship. Simply knowing that there's someone on the other end of the line, simply being with that person, even if no words are shared, there's just a peace in their presence. Simply being with them. In our relationship God with God should be similar. When we silence ourselves before God, it enhances intimacy with him. It allows us to like throw off all of our doing, all of our fancy prayers, all of our asking and probing, all of our earning and striving, and we can simply just be with Jesus. When we quiet ourselves, it humbles us, it brings peace, and it helps us to simply sit in his presence. It's in this context 
of silence and solitude that our relational connection with God can grow. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. It's not pray loud and know that I am God or listen to a sermon and know that I am God. It's be still, be quiet. As we practice sitting in silence before God, by being in silence before God, like our ears are opened up to what he has to say to us. And when we, when we throw off and we turn off all the other noise in our lives, we're able not only to hear what God has to say, but it helps us to, to let it sink deeply in our hearts. It gives it space to kind of marinate. I don't know how many times I've read the Bible or I've heard a sermon or whatever. I'm listening to a podcast. And I'm like, oh man, that's really good. You know, you're reading your Bible. I'm like, oh, underline that. And then you just keep on reading like, no, get quiet. Give that thing space to sink in, to believe it. Be still and know that I am God. When we turn off the outside noise, we allow our hearts to get quiet before him. It helps us hear his voice and it helps us ignore the voices of this world. It helps us become like Jesus by helping us believe and know the truth. Being alone and silent before God helps us to hear from God and to believe it. The story I was thinking of is in Matthew chapter 3, if you guys want to follow along. In Matthew chapter 3, we have this story about Jesus being baptized. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. He dunks him in this river as like a way to start his ministry. And then when he dunks him, God speaks. God's thunderous voice speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? This huge moment, giant moment. Jesus' ministry is starting. God is speaking. And I can imagine that the people surrounding had a lot of questions about what's going on. But... Right after that, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then, it was then, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Right after this big moment, Jesus says, I got to get alone with my Father. And the word for wilderness here is eremos. And we've, if you've been in church very long, you've heard this story. You've heard about Jesus being drawn into the desert and it could mean desert, but this word also technically means desolate place, a solitary place, or a quiet place. And the desert definitely fits those descriptions. But Jesus was led by the Spirit at the very first moment his ministry was started to the Aramos. He went to the quiet place. Before Jesus started, so this is like, before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, before he healed lepers, before he fed the 5,000, before he preached in the temple, before he did anything, he got quiet and still before God. Matthew 4, 1 continues, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the Spirit led him 
to the desert to be tempted by Satan. And verse 2 says that uh, before Jesus was tempted by Satan, Jesus fasted for 40 days. So you have this picture of Jesus out in the desert, alone and hungry for 40 days. And in our minds, he's like, he's got to be tired. He's got to be, when he finally confronts Satan, he's tired, he's weak, he's lonely. But in reality, that wasn't Jesus, the moment Jesus was weak at all. It was those 40 days of silence before God that prepared him to face this test. It was in these 40 days of silence with God that Jesus was built up spiritually to know who he was and be able to fight the lies of the enemy. And we see the story continue. We see Satan challenge Jesus with three things. The first thing Satan says, he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus responds, man does not live on bread alone. It's like strike one Satan. Satan comes back. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus says, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And finally, Satan tempts Jesus. He took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and riches and splendor. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give to you if you were to bow down and worship me. And again, Jesus doesn't give in. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And I don't know if you've heard this story before, but I've never equated the fact that right before this happens, Jesus spends 40 days and nights fasting, spending time alone with God. I never thought about how Jesus, in that, those moments, were, was empowered to overcome the temptations of Satan because of his time alone with God. The time Jesus spent alone with God helped to ensure Jesus of the truth. And it made him able to see through the lies of the enemy. Satan comes at Jesus. He's like, aren't you hungry? Turn these stones to bread. And Jesus says, you know what? Man does not live on bread alone. I am the bread of life, actually. So I don't need your bread. Satan comes back. He says, why don't you actually throw yourself off this mountain? The angels will save you. And Jesus says, you have no idea what I came to do. One day I will give myself up and there will be no angels to save me. And then finally, Satan brings Jesus and says, look out, if you, if you just serve me, all these cities, they're going to bow to you. And Jesus says, you don't understand. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. It was the moments in silence and solitude before God that Jesus was able to internalize the truth and fight the lies of the enemy. All these attacks from Satan, they're attacks on Jesus' very identity. They, he's attacking Jesus about who he is and what God is going to do through him. And each time, Jesus responds not just with Bible, but with gospel truth. Jesus' time alone in silence and solitude allowed him to be secure and assured about what the truth is and helped him to see through all the lies of the enemy. And when we spend time in silence and solitude with God, it helps the truth of the gospel sink deeply into our hearts. And it allows us to run from the lies of Satan and grasp onto the truth about who God is. 
Man, if we are serious about growing in maturity and relationship with Jesus, we need to set up times to be alone and quiet before him. I believe if we did that, the truth about who Jesus is would be firmly secured in our hearts. And we would much better be able to fight against the lies of the world around us. We would be able to see through the emptiness of what it's offering us because we are so foundationally secured in who he is and what he has called us to do. So this morning, we're going to spend a little time in silence and solitude. We're going we're to take communion and we're going to walk pretty slowly through it. Worship team, don't come up yet. I'll call you when I'm ready because I want it to be actually quiet. Um, so the Bible tells us that we're sick with sin, that our selfishness had led us away from relationship with God and it has thrown God's creation into chaos and decay. But because God loved us, he left heaven, lived a perfect life, became a target of the sin that we introduced into the world, and he died. And although he stayed dead for three days, he was raised again as a sign that he was who he said he was and that he had conquered sin and death. And because of this work, we are forgiven for our sin. We have been given power to overcome our sin, and we have been invited into relationship with God. And we take communion as a way to remember the work that Jesus has done for us and allow it to reach down in our hearts and transform us. And if you believe that, you can take communion with us this morning. Let's take the bread. The bread represents his body that was broken for you. It was nailed to a cross, beaten and whipped to take the punishment for our sin. And the juice represents his blood, the blood of the covenant that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sin and the sealing of your relationship with him. Drink. Now, let's spend the next 30 seconds just being quiet. Look at this empty cup. Consider what it means, what it symbolizes, what it represents. Consider the new life you have in him and allow him to speak and allow it to sink deeply into your heart. I want to spend a little more time here. Um, I'm going to speak out some truths about who God is and who we are in him. And I want to allow those truths to sink in 
for us to believe it. And for those of you in this room who don't know if I really believe in this whole Jesus thing, kind of doubting all this, I just want you to spend this time thinking, could these be true? Could it be true? And then my trust is that the Holy Spirit will speak to you during this time. God is patient. God is faithful. God is able. God has not left you. God loves you. You are beloved by God. You are forgiven in Christ. You have been adopted as a child of God. God's spirit resides in you. You are God's workmanship. You have been created in Christ to do the good works he has prepared for you. Worship team, I invite you up. Lord Jesus, Could it be true could, like, that you're patient with us? 
that you're faithful to us, that you love us, that you don't leave us, that you don't forsake us, that you've brought us into your family? Could it be true? God, help us to believe it. (laughs) It's hard to believe those truths. It's not easy. We fight, we struggle every day to believe those things are true. Lord, help us to not just simply walk out these doors and forget the truths that you spoke this morning. I pray that you would continue to speak these things, that you would continue to draw us into your presence, Lord, that we would just get rid of all the distractions and simply sit in your presence and say, could it be true? Could it be true that you love us this way? Lord, help us to be a church that trumpets these truths, but also knows how to accept these truths for ourselves. Would it not become an impersonal message? Would it become a testimony? Lord Jesus, I ask that you would continue to work, that your spirit would continue to move this morning. Even in the bleak, cold winter day that it is, that we would walk out of this place excited and filled with hope because of the great truth about who you are and what you've done to save us. Lord Jesus, you are good. It's in your precious name we pray. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.